ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hello there. Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. We're back. Another episode of 1% Better. We are a little groggy this morning, recovering from a late night, but uh, that was fun. Colts 34, Titans 17, big Thursday night matchup in the AFC South, uh, playing for first place. The Colts handled their business, and I got to tell you, I mean, this was this game for me was all about opportunity, and would they seize that opportunity? I wasn't sure. I thought they would play well, right? But I wasn't sure if they'd get it done. I thought this was the most complete game of the season in terms of all three phases, in terms of just the thoroughness of this win. How big a statement, Zach, was this? This was huge. Without a doubt, the biggest statement they have made in 2020. I mean, you're going into the second half, and you're thinking 17-13 game, you're down by four. This could be... You know, I don't want to get too above my head, but this could be the season. I mean, this was the biggest half of football they had faced this year. And four days earlier, they had gone into the second half against the Ravens in a game they had controlled for most of the first half and, and completely just laid down. I mean, the Ravens just beat them in every aspect of the game in the final 30 minutes. And what did they do last night in Nashville? They did the same thing. They commanded the entire game. They took it to the favorite in the AFC South on a four-day week in their place, um, and they whooped them in every phase of the game. Special teams made a play. Phillip Rivers in the offense was rolling. We'll get into that. Naheem Hines, Michael Pittman Jr., and the defense just stepped up. Um, that was exactly what Frank Reich wants his football team to look like. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And before we get into the, too much of the specifics, I, I want to – like actually clarify what this game meant you just hit on it you said you know this could have been the season maybe maybe not but it's not crazy because here's the thing you're talking about if the Colts lose this game I don't think we actually clarified this before this game but in retrospect we should have this should have been very much a a priority in terms of understanding what was at stake if the Colts lose this game they go down two games in the division with seven games to go. And you got Green Bay next week. You got Tennessee the week after. It just You just put yourself way behind the eight ball. Yeah. I don't think we can overstate what a tough spot that would be. This actually puts them in, first of all, they're, in, they're tied for first place. So, right, there's no way to overstate that. But I'm just telling you, I, I just don't think with the games they have remaining, they would have had no margin for error. With seven games to go, I think we forget we're on the back half of the schedule now. Okay, there's not a lot left. They still got to play Pittsburgh. They still got to deal with Tennessee again. Houston's getting better, and I'm not I'm not calling those wins either. Yeah, you know, just yeah, absolutely. Houston, they're having a bad year. But let me ask you this: Forget the standings and all that. Didn't you need to see this team do that? Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, we have criticized them. At least I have in the last couple of days because they hadn't beat anybody good. They hadn't beat anybody worth talking about. It's great when you beat the Bengals and the Lions and the Vikings and the Jets and all that. But beat someone good. And to their credit, they hadn't faced anyone besides the Ravens, really, that's a good, complete team. I still think the Titans are a good team, and I think they're going to be very much an AFC playoff team. But, you know, the Colts hadn't done that yet. They hadn't proved that they could put it all together and beat a really good team. And not only did they did it, did they do it, they did it. In a division game, like you said, that, that really they, they count those twice. That's how the Colts look at it. Those games are like it's like one and a half wins because their division race is so important to them. They did it in the house of the Titans 
uh, an AFC finalist last year, and they left no doubt at all. This was not a three-point win, a seven-point win. This was an ass-kicking in the second half, and that was what the Colts have been chasing for the last couple months. I mean, it's it, you look, you get the wins in the, in, the, in the win column for the Jets and the Vikings and all that, and that's a nice start to the season, but we all knew this season really started in November, and that's when you want to be playing your best football, and now all of a sudden everything seems possible to me. I'm not going to get you know deep playoff run yet, but now all of a sudden it's like they can hang with some of the best teams in the league. I really believe that after last night. Yeah, I I think it was maybe they don't need it, but but certainly as an observer, I think our biggest I guess struggle with this team with this Colts team was who are they? What are yeah. they? <laughs> you know and. I don't think we had a real sense of that. I didn't know what I was going to get from week to week watching this team. And that's been part of the problem. I think they've been generally effective, right? They have been in every game. They haven't gotten blown out. They're not a team that, that's been yeah. dominated by anybody, by any stretch of the imagination. But but it just felt like it, sometimes it just felt like they were holding on for dear life and not necessarily in control. And then you have games like Detroit and it's like, okay, that was a laugher. So I don't know. They were like all over the place, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and I think this game was the first time we actually saw the full picture. And granted, Tennessee had some huge miscues. Tennis, uh, excuse me, special teams in particular. Uh, but but that's part of it. That's all part of it. I mean, you can't be a division winner and only play one phase or two phases. You got to do it all, right? And so that was the difference. The, the difference last night was. The Colts got it from every single part of their team. Colts' victories are starting to look different. Would you agree? You've covered this yeah. team long enough. This is the new DNA of this team. It's the new blueprint. Yeah. It's balanced. It's interesting. And, and, you know, this was an interesting comment from Jack Doyle a couple weeks ago, and he's been through a lot of this. He was on teams that would just win with offense and hold on on defense. But he says they're learning to win different ways this year. And by that, I mean one week the defense carries, one week, like Cincinnati, the offense gets hot. Last night was the first time you saw all three phases, especially for the final 30 minutes, just really, really play good, complete, fundamental, sound football. And and that's going to help them down the stretch because you're going to have to win games against good teams in different ways. And, you know, last night answered a lot of questions for me in terms of whether they could do it and put it all together. And, and look, there was some tough moments for sure. I mean, they couldn't contain Henry the whole time. Tannehill had some nice throws early. The defense had a... A, a drive where they let four penalties, you know, on the field, and, and that hurt them. But the measure of a team is how you bounce back, how you bounce back from those situations, and they they answered the bell in every way last night. You know, one of the things that was very promising in this game, and, and special teams played a role in this, but whatever. One of the things that was very promising was the second half, just in general, the second half performance. I thought the Colts were in complete control. They got a gift, right? There's no question they got a gift with, with the blocked punt. I mean, they made but at the, the same, play, too. But they did make the play. And at the same time, you know, with the shanked punt, they had a short field. But, you know, we've seen them turn short fields into field goals before. They didn't do that. They put it in the end zone. And I think it's – you know your opponent's going to make mistakes. The question is, do you capitalize on it? And yeah. the Colts did that. They, they made them pay for every single mistake. You know, the Titans sometimes made the Colts pay. They didn't pay, make them pay all the time. And, and I think that's one of the big differences in that game last night. Uh, but but I would just say this. I think there have been some games this year. Look at just a week ago, honestly. It was the Ravens, frankly, 
who were the team that turned that game on its head in the second half. The Colts were sitting there as if they were helpless, and mm-hmm. they were the team making the mistakes in the second half. Look, you're going to have to play four quarters against these upper echelon teams, and you're going to have to pull that game out. I mean, the Colts have have been one of those teams that has played a good half, first half or second half, too often and never and not always played four quarters. And I know it's cliche and it sounds like coach speak, but it's true. You got to play four quarters, and that was a four quarter game. I thought even at halftime, even though the Colts were down, it was seventeen thirteen, I believe. Uh, the Colts felt like they had outplayed the Titans. Honestly, I think the penalties were the difference in the game at that point. The so difference. It was a complete performance. It was impressive, it, and the difference for me was the offense. Like I, I expect the defense to do that, and they held Henry to nineteen carries for one hundred and three. I mean, he's he's the best in football. He's going to get his carries, and he's going to get his yards for sure. But the offense, man, the offense didn't punt until the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, they moved Crazy. the ball. Now they didn't convert fourth downs. You know, they had, they were three or five on fourth downs, and they drove the ball seventy three yards at one point. Didn't get any points, and that's killer. But Naeem Hines deserves a lot of credit because he was the he was the spark plug that this offense needed. Michael Pittman Jr. had a terrific game. Seven catches for 101. I mean, that kid looks like a player. Every single week, he gets better. And Zach Pascal made plays. And T.Y. Hilton deserves some credit, too, because he stepped up. Mm-hmm. And I felt like he got this offense going. I felt like he delivered some 10 to 12-yard catches early that was like, okay, we can move the football. And last but not least, you know, he's criticized a lot when he plays badly, and, and that's what comes with the position, but Phillip Rivers was excellent last night. I really thought he only made a couple mistakes, to be honest. And, and if you're going to get games like this, 29-39 for 309, an average of eight yards a catch, a touchdown, no picks, and 105 rating, like you're going to take that. Like that's what you paid for. That's the upgrade you paid for at quarterback. And, and he was really, really good last night. And, and this offense deserves a lot of credit for the way they – bounce back for basically falling asleep in the second half against the Ravens. I mean, they didn't do anything. And the offense, um, you know, that it's a it's a hot and cold unit. One week they look terrible, the next they look unstoppable. Um, but in a really big moment last night, Philip Rivers and the offense really stepped up to the plate. They needed they need to get called out for that. That was impressive. Yeah, it is definitely interesting, you know, when you see them against sort of a middle of the road defense, you see what they can be. I mean, look, they're not going to look the same way against the Baltimore Ravens defense as you as you look against Tennessee. I mean, that's just right. the reality of it. And I think what this tells me is, man, Baltimore's really good on defense. <laughs> I think that's what it tells yeah, me. Yeah, it, it's kind of like you forget that. It's like, yeah, they're like one of the best in football. And like right. that, they do that to a lot of teams. Look, look at the Chicago game. Same thing. I mean, that looked like a struggle on offense yeah. because it was. It looks like when teams play the Colts defense. Most weeks, yeah, it's like every that's yard what they're supposed is really, to really do. hard to find. To be honest, they're supposed to just really ugly up the game, and that's what good defenses do to you. So it, it's good to remember that and put that in perspective sometimes. Because if you're a good defense, then it shouldn't look pretty for the other offense. <laughs> you know, that's how it's supposed to look. And I gotta tell you, I mean, it was tough sledding for Tennessee in that second half, especially when the Colts got up and the Titans became a little more predictable and one-dimensional, uh, their running game was basically a non-factor at that point. Mm-hmm. And and even when it was a factor in the game, look, Derrick Henry got his, I think, 103 yards, and no shame in that. But the one thing he didn't get was the 40- and 50-yard run, yeah. which is what he can do and he so demoralizing. Right. Right. The Colts it's haven't allowed 20. any of those really those breakout runs this year. No. I mean, no. that's that's – 
that's a credit to Matt Eberflus. And, and like, we should probably give credit to guys like, like Corey Willis is quietly having a great season at safety. Julian Black he, he just really makes is. plays. I mean, just add some to the, to the docket last night. Like he just keeps making plays. Darius, I think, is playing better than I've ever seen him play. I'll just be honest. Yeah. Um, Bobby Okariki is, is another one, but we should probably hit on the big guy in the middle. You know, he's really changed the defense, and I'm not talking about DeForest Buckner for once. <laughs> the other big guy. <laughs> Grover Stewart, man. Who knew? He is playing his tail off this season. And, and I mean, you were there on draft day, right? Chris Ballard's first draft. I think he was a yeah. fourth or fifth round out of Albany State. And I'm like, where is Albany State? And Albany, New York? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not Albany, New York. And, and right. like you mentioned, Grover Stewart is like the most polite quiet southern kid and he, just he has never all, not called me yes sir all I'm the like, credit no the i'm not a sir <laughs> he, <laughs> okay? just, he just climbed and he worked and he kept quiet and he is having an absolute career season this year he's about to get paid and he deserves every penny and there are times when you think he's the best player on the defensive line i mean is it crazy to say that because i know how much talent they have in that unit but Grover Stewart, man, is is one of the underrated stories of this Colts season. So watching Grover last night was it was really fun for me just because I have a, you know he's you can't help but have a soft spot for this guy, right? He's the nicest guy, and he's also a great story. I mean, he comes out of nowhere. No one recruits this guy. He goes to a Division two school that basically is you know barely got a football program, <laughs> you know, and. What does he do? He gets drafted, first of all. Like, how the hell do you do that? And then, second of all, he he blossoms now into this very, very effective player. And that came as a result of work. Because I remember I talked to him during the offseason. And one of the things that, that Grover communicated to me was he said, look, I really understand this is a big year for me. He understands it's that contract year. Yeah. And it wasn't just about money. It was also about further establishing himself. Because I think he knew that he had been a guy who had – flashed but i don't know that people really believed that this is who he could be and he had to prove that he had not proven that to now but anyhow i just thought that was one of the things that i enjoyed watching that game last night was everyone else getting to see what we have seen you know a nationally televised game you know you get some guys now who who no one has heard of and you know people start googling names and who's this guy and and i think he was that guy last night and uh you you can't help but be happy for him and one thing i'd say is what's interesting is nose tackles generally you don't hear their name because they don't make plays they eat it's not that they're not good it's that they don't make plays their job is to take a double team and you know just sort of gum up the running lanes and and let darius leonard and Okiriki make tackles. But this guy penetrates and makes plays. Any playmaking like that you get from a nose tackle, that is a that is an absolute bonus because you never expect to get that from your nose tackle. Again, he's just a guy who's just supposed to do the dirty work. This guy is coming out here, he's giving you some pass rush. He's completely blowing up the running game in some instances. I'm telling you, you know, him getting him next to DeForest Buckner, I think, has made the difference. So it all goes back to DeForest Buckner in the end. However, when you do get those single blocks, you got to do something with them. And this guy is consistently taking advantage of it. So, uh, last thing on the defense, or before we go on, you mentioned Kari Willis and Julian Blackman. One thing I got to say about their defense, the run defense in particular, the Colts do a great job of getting all 11 guys involved in their run defense. Yeah. And that's what it takes. How many game tackles? That do you monster. See? 
Yeah. That's you that's know? a signature of Matt Eberflus's unit is is the gang tackle. Is is three guys instead of one. That's how you got to tackle Henry for starters. Yeah, there were a couple plays in particular I want to point out. And this is also great coaching. Uh, the Julian Blackman tackle, I thought that was a great a great call, first of all. He has not shown that. They have really not brought Julian Blackman down from his deep safety spot. I mean, I think part of that is he didn't have training camp. He didn't really practice much. So yeah. he, he doesn't have a whole lot of time on task. So they've kind of limited his role and said, okay, you're the deep guy. You stay back there. Do your thing. And that's fine. He's done it well. But there are times when you're kind of like, man, you know, he kind of goes to waste back there sometimes when, when they don't throw it deep. You know, we went through this with Malik Hooker sometimes, right? But I think Julian Blackman is such a superior tackler to Malik that it'd be nice if you could kind of get him involved, right? And so they brought him down in the box on that play. He run blitzes, and he shoots in the backfield and tackles Derrick Henry freaking one-on-one. I mean, this kid's not a big guy. He's like 195 pounds. It's all he's done since he's got here. It's just been like, I'm a player. I can do so many different things on the football field. He's a heck of a find. I love it. And and then the other thing real quick was uh, there was a play where Xavier Rhodes uh, came down and run blitzed a little bit from the edge, uh, from the perimeter, and was in perfect position as Henry's running down the line trying to get to the corner. And he had to cut it back up inside. Now, I question that decision because <laughs> you're Derrick Henry. But uh, the regardless, he completely blew the play up, turns him back inside, and three or four guys make the tackle, including... Xavier. So that's how you play run defense, man. And and I'll tell you, if the if the Titans can't have their way in their running game, it changes things, man. I yeah, mean, their play action about teams and all that. saying like Henry just wears you down, right? You just get tired of tackling yep. them. And by the second half, you're just like, Man, I gotta play next week, you know. They did the opposite last <laughs> yeah. night. The Colts with their like you said, their group Rushing to the football, those guys, you know, they closed off those lanes and they brought Henry down and, and they shut down the Titans running game in a way that made them more one-dimensional. And Matt Eberflus, man, let, let's just throw out the first game in Jacksonville. He's pitching a heck of a season and he's done a tremendous job. They added some pieces. Blackman stepped up. Buckner stepped in. Grover Stewart has ascended. Um, but he's got to be one of the better coordinators in football right now. Um, it's just been... It's fun to watch this defense just bring it every single week. Look, I know, I know, I know that that offensive coaches are in vogue when it comes to head coaching hires, but I'm just here to tell you, uh, the grapevine's talking about Matt Eberflus. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've heard it. I'm just telling you. So, uh, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We've got a long way to go before the end of the season and before Black Monday, but don't be shocked. If Matty Rufalo's name comes up, I mean, this it defense be. has consistently been on par with some of the better defenses in the league. Now, last year, some setbacks last year, but I think, you know, we understand last year was last year. Uh, they have been an absolute, I mean, terror to play this year. They're the, they're one of the, they're going to be one of those defenses no one wants to play. That's what they are right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. You don't want to play this team. Number you, one, where do you where do you beat this defense? Like, exactly, secondary is good. Linebackers are fast. Tackle well. The defensive line is just a pain to play against. Right, and we haven't even seen Kamoka Ture, who's who we think we'll see against Green Bay next week. I mean, it I have modest like expectations, it. but right, I tell you, I I have not had this much fun watching a defense in a very very long time. I'm it's, with you. I'm it's with bizarre. you on that. 
It's bizarre. It's, I, I don't it's a lot know of fun to, to watch Naheem Hines, too, though. So let's talk about this offense. The biggest criticism I thought last week, and I, I guess I made this criticism, it was they kind of looked lost. Like there wasn't somebody they could go to and say, okay, make a play. Yeah. Player X. Who was that? Who would that have been, right? And we've always wondered if that guy was Naheem Hines. So I'm not surprised that he did what he did last night. I know you're not surprised either. I think the, the question was always, how do they position him to do it? And they have failed at that, I think, for too long. Why did it change? How did I it change? That's a good question because I think everyone out there knows. Like, get get this kid the ball. He's terrific. And and they, they obviously knew that if you get him the ball in space, he's going to do what he does. We all knew that. But I think what really impressed me was running between the tackles last night. That's not something we've seen him do exceptionally well, right? He was the guy that gave it to on second and long, and he'd get one yard every time, right? Um, But Phillip Rivers made a good point. He's like, look, you just label these guys scat backs, and you just think they're only good in space. But, like, he can run through the tackles and between the tackles. And he did that last night, and that was the key. Um, You know, Reich deserves a lot of credit. He's, He's down Paris Campbell, which hurts. He's down Marlon Mack. And, and he's got to find a way to get some juice to the offense. Like you said, steal some yards, get some chunk plays. And chunk plays are, you know, 10-yard runs, 20-yard passes. And they just got the ball to Naheem Hines last night in different situations where he could just eat up turf. And, and that's what he did. And, and this was a great little nugget from Frank after the game. You know, it was Naheem's 24th birthday last night. And Rathman, who, who doesn't usually do this kind of stuff, Coach Rathman, the, the 49ers, great. You know, the throwback, he's the Colts running backs coach. And he went up to Reich early in the game. He said, leave Naheem in. There's something in him. Like, there's some fire in his eyes. And Reich said, okay. And he did. And, and look what happened. I mean, Naheem, that, that for me, and this is what I wrote, I, that was his best game as a pro. I know what he did in Detroit two weeks ago. I know what he did against the Panthers last year in special teams. But on this stage against that team, that was his breakout game for me. That was like, this guy's not just a – every other game kind of guy. This is a guy that needs to be involved every single week. This is a guy that defenses need to account for every single week. I mean, he took he took the game over in parts. The Titans didn't have an answer. I remember watching the Chargers back when Rivers was quarterback, thinking, how did they not have an answer for Darren Sproles? He's running everywhere. It felt like that at times. Now, he's not Darren yeah. Sproles, but, I mean, he had 115 all-purpose yards. He had two touchdowns, one on the ground, one through the air. I mean, this was a guy that – Delivered a spark when the Colts absolutely needed it on offense. So, you know what's the biggest number to me with Naheem Hines? It's 17. 17 touches. Yeah. What, okay. When, when you get him Who's the ball. Who's had 17 touches on this team this year? When you have yeah. get him the ball, good things happen. Right. And so, that when I see that, I say, okay, there's Frank Reich not overthinking it. You know, I'll right, give you an example. All right, think about the the play to Jordan Wilkins on the goal line where he runs a slant and stops, I guess, because he doesn't want to get hit. Yeah, I need to watch that on A really again, bad but... look, yeah. at least at, at first glance. I got, as you said, got to look at the tape. I don't know. There, there could have been some miscommunication there, maybe, but I think he just kind of broke the playoff. Anyhow, why is he running that play? <laughs> <laughs> That's my question. Right. All right, Jordan Wilkins screwed it up, but why is Jordan Wilkins doing that? Jordan Wilkins is not a great receiving tailback. He can do it, but you don't want him running a slant. Let him run a little wheel route and do what running backs do. Let him stay in his lane. 
here you got him out here running a, a slant like he's T.Y. Hilton. What is that, right? So my point to you is, or to the listener is, they figured it out with Naheem Hines. They're like, okay, we know what he can do. Let's let him do what he does. And they were rewarded for that. So, look, I'm not one of these people out here telling you Frank Reich is is not the guy. I hear a lot of that all the time. And I, I think it's really short-sighted, right? Yeah. But it's okay to be critical. I do think that sometimes Frank overthinks it. I tweeted this yesterday. Uh, there was some conversation on Twitter we got into. And, and one of the things that I remarked was I, I tried to put it in perspective. And one of the things that I said was, I think that sometimes Frank and Sirianni and this staff, they overvalue offensive multiplicity. And what that means is distributing the ball to different guys. That is a big priority for them. You know know that Frank Reich talks about it all the time. He says, well, we want to be multiple. We want to be multiple. And that's why they play three tight ends. That's why they play all these running backs. That's That's why why they're going to have a receiver average 10 or 12 catches a game, right? Right. Spread the ball. And I don't necessarily care what the numbers are. All I say is that sometimes, you know, I think you got to feed a guy. <laughs> and now they don't have Julio Jones. I get that. But at the same time, I mean, you can't treat everybody as an equal either. All right. You can't tell me that getting the ball to a guy who who really hasn't shown much or doesn't have any real track record. You can't tell me getting the ball to that guy is the same as getting the ball to a guy like Naheem Hines last night, who's sizzling hot. Right. As he said, he, he had a fire in his eyes. Okay, well, give him the ball. And he did. Yeah. So Sometimes I love that just, part. like, keep it simple. Like, yes. Like Frank always says, like, this is a player's game. Players make plays. Coaches call the plays, but the players are the ones who win the games. And and I think he did that against Detroit a couple weeks ago, right? Jordan Hil- Wilkins clearly was the better running back. That mm-hmm. day. Give him the ball. And then last night, like, don't be stubborn and just try to think that Jonathan Taylor needs to get more touches. Like, clearly, Naheem was giving the offense a lift. Give him the ball. It's okay. Do 10, 12, 15 touches. Um, they didn't have an answer for him, and you and you got to ride with that. And the offense needs something like that. They need someone they can go to that can get them eight, you know? And it doesn't feel like that's been the case for most of the year. They've, they've had to get yards the hard way. And part of that's the quarterback and the receivers and T.Y. being out and, and not being the deep threat. But you you saw it last night, right? Naheem would get eight yards on a carry or he would get nine on a screen pass or a dump off. And then they would get Pascal for 30 down the field or T.Y. would get 15. Like, that's how it got started. And I think you're right about the multiplicity and they try to spread it around. And sometimes they resist just giving it to the hot hand. When the hot hand is that hot as Naheem was last night, you just got to roll with it. And sometimes it's not that complicated. And um, I'm anxious to see what I see on the tape when I watch later today. But um, what a night for Naheem Hines. I mean, this is what he talked about. We talked to him in the summer and he was like, look, man, I've been trying to catch balls for three years. Like if they give me a chance, I know what I can do. And this is what they drafted him to be. You know, Frank Reich pushed hard for him in the draft room in 18 and 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 this is a credit to him and Rathman and Reich, and it really stepped up at the right time last night because they needed this one, and, and he I was really. You. Yeah, th- this is what I this is what I always thought he would be. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, I kind of thought I, we'd see it earlier. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been actually disappointed we haven't seen it so far, and you know maybe 
Naheem played some role in that, and maybe he slow to blossom, maybe, but I don't really think that was the biggest issue. I just think it goes back to Frank trying to be multiple, as he just said, and I think Naheem got lost in the shuffle the last couple of years, and I just I don't get it. It's, it's one of the biggest mysteries. I think it's it's one of the things that Frank has done the last couple of years that has made me scratch my head more than anything, is here you have a team that really hasn't had a lot of quote-unquote dogs on offense, and here you have one, mm. <laughs> okay? Well, It's funny, I didn't think of him like that, but yeah, he is. He you deserves know? it. So, now let's talk about Frank Reich and the aggressiveness we saw last night. It was interesting, right? It, it ended up working out fine, but in the moment we were we were kind of puzzled maybe, or it was just an interesting decision on, on each of those fourth downs. I think they went for four, excuse me, five. They went for five, downs. three on one drive. Yeah, that is unbelievable. I think I saw a stat from ESPN Research. Uh, I think it was the the Colts were the first team in many many years. I can't remember the exact number. In many years to attempt four first downs uh, in the first three quarters of a game, because generally you're attempting fourth down tries in the fourth quarter, trying to come back. You know, right? Uh, that maybe it was all five. Were all five? Yeah, I think all five were in the first three. Yeah, because that one, that, that third quarter drive, seventy-five right. yards, zero points. I'm, I'm not surprised by it, to be honest. Are you? I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Um, I mean, I, I think where my criticism comes is maybe in the play selection and how they ding, went ding, about ding. it. Why you know? did they run the same play twice in a row last night? Felt like it. It felt yeah. like it to me, and I think I they like got it either one. time either. <laughs> See, I don't like that, and I don't like the shot. And this is just me, and I'm not saying that I'm a football expert by any means, but I don't like the shotgun at fourth and one on from the from from the one yard line, right? Fourth and goal from the yeah, one. Like, I agree because we've talked to a lot of players who you look. You're giving up three yards. You're giving up four yards, and I don't know if I like the the, the player selection either. I kind of like Taylor in those situations because he can just jump over. But Wilkins didn't even have a chance to because the line got pushed back. And um, I'm with you on that. I, I do take issue sometimes with the play calls in those fourth and one situations. The, the one thing I'll say is he kind of was trusting his offensive line in those situations. But <laughs> I don't think they played that great early in the game. And so I wonder if that was maybe the right way to do it. You know, whether that was whether that was a, a, a smart bargain on his part you know the offensive line gave up a lot of penetration in the running game and I thought early on that was something that was really really uh, evident watching the game and, and disconcerting honestly I mean yeah that was some of the worst penetration they've given up all season I think we could complain about maybe them finishing blocks or you know throughout the season that's certainly been a a question but I don't think they were getting just complete penetration guys getting hit in the backfield nearly as much as I saw in the first half uh, now I give them credit I thought they got better over the course of the game and the other thing that I took away from that game was Naheem Hines did have some production in the running game on inside runs as you said and I think what that demonstrated to me is sometimes the running backs got to make a play you know in in those situations and you're not yeah. going to have those those huge lanes you saw, for example, in the, the Kansas City game last year where, you know, I could have run through them and Marlon Mack, you know, had nearly a 200-yard night. But I think it's both. I think, like, and, and I had a conversation with Darius Butler, the former Colts safety, on, on Twitter last night. Like, I, I was like, why is the Colts offensive line really just as good or better than ever at pass pro? 
and it seems like they've taken a step back in the run game. And, and he sent me a, a Marlon Mack video. And like, look, I'm, I'm the biggest Marlon Mack supporter out there. Like, I, I think he's terrific. Um, and I think you see that every week, how much they miss him. But I think you're onto something because the penetration was there and they were getting pushed back and the lanes weren't there. But also, you need to have a running back who can make a play and get through those holes and find some space. And too often, Wilkins doesn't find it. Taylor doesn't find it. And you saw Hines last night slip through those holes and make a play. And um, they do miss Marlon Mack, that's for sure. But it did seem like the both. it was both last night. It was both Hines making plays and it was also the offensive line finally getting some holes for him and making some plays. And you have to have both working together. The shame of it is is, is Max the best of, out of all of them, and, and he's not coming back. Yeah, I, I, I do want to complete the thought, though, on the, on the fourth down. So the one thing I'll say is, look, Frank is always aggressive anyway, so we're, we're never surprised that he's aggressive in those situations. But I think one thing that we, we forget to connect here in trying to understand his, his thinking is, it also, I think, is a compliment to the defense because, you know, he's saying, OK, we're going to try to punch this in for six. But if we don't, I know we're forcing a punt because I trust my defense. And yeah. he just said he said trusting my guys. I, and at first I was like, all right, so you're trusting Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson okay, and Philip Rivers. Yeah, I get that. But what he also is saying, I think, to, to a lesser degree, is saying, I also trust the Forrest Buckner and Darius Leonard and Xavier Rhodes. Wouldn't you? Et cetera. The way yeah. they're playing? I trust them. Yeah. And I think that's a great luxury. That's a, That actually kind of complements itself. It, it, that The two situations complement each other. An aggressive offensive coach is going to miss sometimes, right? Yeah. It's like a home run hitter. You're going to strike out, uh, but how's your pitching, right? And – that's where the defense comes in, I think. And last you know, that's night, the relationship there. I mean, they, they drive all the way down the field. They, they convert two fourth downs. Then they get the, the final one on the one. They get stuffed. And it kind of felt like it could be a game changer, right? The Titans take over. They move the ball a little bit. And then the defense holds. And Rivers has a short field, and they score a touchdown. And then on the Titans' next drive, the Colts block a punt. And boom, the game was over. And, and that's right, right? You thought that fourth down gamble would, would backfire? It really didn't because his defense delivered, his offense delivered. And and like you said, that's sort of, you know, they what's written on his play sheet? You know, we were at, he was asked about this last yeah. night. Big letters, conviction. Um, Frank's going to continue to call the games this way. Um, and like you said, a really good point. It's not just because he believes in Ryan Kelly and, and Quentin Nelson up front. It's because he believes in Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner on the back end. And last night... It made him look like a pretty smart coach in the second half. You know, I think you should basically just expect this now. I, I think this defense playing the way it is, it's only going to further embolden yeah, Frank to, to call these games this way. Like, I mean, remember maybe he his first go from, year, that fourth and what? Fourth and four on his own, like 35 against the Texans? <laughs> yes. No no second thoughts. Right, right. Now, And he didn't have the defense he has now at that time. So. Not, he, he, they had a different quarterback, though. They did. They did. I get that part. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think you're only going to see him continue to go down this road and, and dig in further as, and as an aggressive uh, dis- decision maker You know, when it comes to, to fourth down situations. I mean, he's, he's oftentimes on third down thinking, okay, we're going forward anyway, so my third down play call is going to be indicative of that. Right. So uh, you just that's just – it's built in. You can, you can love it. You can hate it. And it probably depends on the outcome. 
But just understand, it's coming. That's just and I think is. the analytics bear this out, that more often than not, it's the right decision to play aggressive. I think teams can play more aggressive, to be honest. And yeah. you got to live with the results, and you're going to have the backfire when it doesn't go right, like it did last night a couple times. But I think that's I still think that's the right call. Do fans want to go back to, to Chuck Pagano never going for it on fourth down and just playing right. – just punting and just playing safe and boring football. I think, you know, there's two sides to every coin, and I think this is the right way to do it. Great point. So let's look forward a little bit, okay, because I think now this thing's starting to come into focus. All right, there's only seven games to go. It's going to be a sprint. Got two six and three teams. I went and looked at the remaining schedules for these two teams. So let's run through this real quick. You won't remember them all, but just to give you a flavor. Uh, So the Colts, Green Bay, Tennessee, at Houston, at Las Vegas, Houston again, at Pittsburgh, and Jacksonville to finish up at home. Tennessee, check this out. So they're at Baltimore next week, at Indy, Cleveland, at Jacksonville, Detroit, at Green Bay, and at Houston. They got seven remaining. Tennessee does five of them on the road, including at Green Bay in week 16. It might be cold. I don't know. So That's, that's, a, tough, that's a tough slate for both teams, particularly the, the, the Titans. Yeah, Green I mean, Bay, like I said, the five road Cleveland, games. Cleveland, Las Vegas. I mean, those are all good teams. Yeah, so I don't know how this is going to go, but but this is going to be a week to week conversation. I mean, we are. It's going to be tooth and nail every week. I mean, I don't see either of these teams running away with this thing. Okay, I don't know who's going to win it, and I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know what the coach are going to do for the next five minutes, but all I can tell you is it's going to be a dog fight. I, I certainly I think don't be, feel like the coach go are going to fall apart. I don't know if they'll get to the playoffs, I, exactly. but I don't see them just like doing what they did last year and dropping seven of nine. Now Tennessee's no, they're, lost. They're a better team. Tennessee's lost three of four, mm-hmm. and you could make the case that they're not the team they were last year. And we'll see. I think they're still a really good, well-coached team, um, but I could see them leveling off, particularly because of that schedule they play. I mean, that's just that's brutal. And I know the Colts have. The Raiders and the Texans twice, and the Steelers who were eight and zero. But I think you're right. It comes down to the wire, and um, that's why this game in two weeks in Indy will be will be just as huge. That's going to be massive. Let me ask you this: let's let's sort of break this down. I know recency bias is a thing, and especially when it was like twelve hours ago. But <laughs> look at the Colts. You look at the Titans. Are the Colts a better team? Or am I just swayed by what I saw? I, I don't know that we can answer this, but we can certainly kick it around. I mean, is it possible the Colts are the better team? Yeah. I mean... has I to be possible. I, oh, it's <laughs> certainly possible. And look, everyone in this league can lose to different teams every week. The Titans lost to the Bengals a couple weeks ago. But... The Colts are balanced. Like, that's their bread and butter right now. It's that they're balanced, and it's that defense can keep them in games against good teams like they did last week against Baltimore. Then the offense, you know, didn't show up. But that's 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 what should give fans a lot of conviction over the last half of the season, the last stretch, right? Remember, remember how it collapsed last year because the defense couldn't stop anyone with Kenny Moore out mm-hmm. and Jacoby couldn't throw the ball down the field? A defense is going to travel. And what has Chris Ballard always said throughout the years? Like, defense in the trenches up front, that's what wins you games in November, December, and that's what gets you a chance to play in January. The defensive line has got to be one of the best in football. 
It's got to be. I don't watch every team, but I watch this team, and I know what good defensive line play is. That's going to matter in November and December. And Rivers has been good enough in certain games to win them the game, and they found a spark plug in Naheem Hines, and they're just so much more balanced. And and I don't know if, if Tennessee's there yet. The defense isn't good. We saw that last week. It's bottom 10 in the league. And on offense, it's really it's the Henry show, and Tannehill can beat you, but the Colts kind of own the Titans, to be honest. I mean, 28 of 35 in the series. They've won 10 of 12 down there in Nashville. For some reason, I just feel like the Colts have their number. Yeah, and I thought that this this Tennessee team was beyond that, and they probably are, but because a lot of these guys didn't live through a lot of that. But yeah. at the same time, man, if you're a Tennessee fan, you remember all of that. And and you're tired of the Colts coming down to your place and kicking. I mean, they just they whooped them last night. They kicked their ass. Yeah, <laughs> they I just mean, did. It's twenty one to zip time. in the second half. I mean, any <laughs> questions? Like what? You know, that was convincing. It felt like so many other Colts and Titans games, honestly. So, yeah, it would be interesting. I, I tell you what, I, I I will tell you. We said in the off season that this might be a fun season. This had a chance to be a fun season. And I don't know how the hell this is going to go. <laughs> because I've already told you, I don't know what this team's going to do from minute to minute, but I'm enjoying it. I will tell you that. I'm definitely enjoying the hell out of this. And yeah, I think that's I think all you want. Night, it's entertainment, night, right? It's kind of changed the way I thought about this team, you know, at least in the short term. I mean, it really showed me what they could look like when they're at their best. And it showed me they're getting better. And that's a key thing because that was what went wrong last year. But this is going to be fun. There's a lot of good games in the back half of this schedule. I I think one of the one of the things that bodes well for the Colts moving forward is they've got some guys who are starting to carve out roles that they didn't have. Michael Pittman, chief among them. If my, if they get Michael Pittman going, yeah. by the way, T.Y. Hilton, as you said earlier, I mean, T.Y. was a factor last night. And they clearly yeah. came out saying, all right, let's find T.Y. Not big yards, but some key first downs. Look, moving the chains at this point in his career, that is perfectly acceptable. Okay, he's he's not the same guy he was. That's okay. Sometimes you just need him to make a play, and he did that. So I think you're starting to see. This is what I talked about last week. You know, where are the playmakers? I haven't seen them. Yeah, maybe they I saw have them a last couple. Night. You know, and I think that is a very promising indication for the Colts. So they've got to build on that, though. That's the thing. They've got to continue to build on it. Uh, they're not going to play a Baltimore Ravens type of defense here going forward, so that certainly helps. So we'll see. Not until they get to Pittsburgh. That's a different deal. <laughs> we'll deal with that when the time comes. So anyway, uh, we're all over the place here, but uh, that's what happens uh, when you have a long night and lots to talk about. So it was fun. We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll be back next week and uh, make some sense of what's next. Green Bay coming up, big game there. They're all big games from here on out. So, uh, but the Colts today are six and three, sitting atop the AFC South, and they're definitely one percent better. So, I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. Thanks for listening, and this is One Percent Better.